I mean, come on. That's just good. Great is his faithfulness. Amen? Jason, they don't need me out here this morning. We can just have church, man. Just keep right on. Well, let's talk about frogs. Um, last week, Pastor Brian, in our series, we've continued on Moses and, and momentum. We left Moses at the burning bush. And this morning, our story picks up just a little bit more pace, if you would. Picking back up in Exodus chapter 4, the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now this story is one of the most talked about in the Bible. We, many of us know what's about to happen. The players in the story, remember, they do not. But Moses is about to be sent back to Pharaoh to ask that the children of Israel be set free from slavery, that they be let go. And because Pharaoh continues to say no to that, there is about to be, there are about to be 10 plagues unleashed on the nation of Egypt that God sends because of Pharaoh's hardened heart. And this is a very difficult story for a lot of people, as, as well known as it is, one of the big questions that unfolds over the next several chapters of the book of Exodus is this statement around the idea that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. For a lot of folks, it's become this idea that Pharaoh had no choice in the pages that are about to unfold. But I want to show you something this morning. I want to show you that that is not the case at all. I want you to see that there is a progression that takes place and that God gave Pharaoh several opportunities to repent and to stop what was about to come. A hardened heart is not something that happens overnight. It is a subtle progression of taking steps down a path that you never intended. A hardened heart is not something that just happens to villains of biblical proportions like Pharaoh, but can also infiltrate the most devoted of Christ's followers. So Moses goes back to Egypt. He has his brother Aaron with him now. And one of the encounters with Pharaoh picks up in chapter 7, verse 8, says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. And that's exactly what he does. Aaron takes his staff, casts it down before Pharaoh, and it becomes a snake. Now, I want you to understand something this morning. For me, that's enough. I have snake issues, okay? And I'm saying, God, you had me at hello. Where, how far do you want these people to go? But Pharaoh's not there yet. What's more in this little episode, we're skipping a few verses here, but Aaron's snake is a really strong snake because Pharaoh's magicians are able somehow to cast their staffs down and they become snakes as well. But Aaron's snake is not having any of that business. Aaron's snake actually eats all the other snakes. Now this is just bad to the bone if you ask me. When God says, I need a snake, he gets a snake, a hungry snake, and says, let's make a point. 
And if I'm Pharaoh, I'm going, okay, see ya. Let me help you pack. That'll be fine. But that's not what happens. Verse 13 of chapter 7 says this. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now there's something important I want you to see. In the first passage we read from chapter 4, it says that God predicted the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and that he himself would harden it. But I want you to understand something in the story. God can't help knowing. It is not how it starts out. Pharaoh's heart is being hardened on its own by Pharaoh himself. And then the plagues begin. Ten plagues that would help deliver the children of Israel out of the slavery that they are in in Egypt. A plague is anything that troubles, afflicts, or harasses you. Some of you have people going through your mind right now. Don't bring them to Jesus yet, all right? In this story, a plague is a sign that has a specific message. These plagues have a point, and they have a point both individually and collectively. They have a point to be made to Pharaoh, and they have a point to be made to the nation of Egypt, and there's a point to be made to the children of Israel. But Pharaoh, at this point in the story, is hardening his own heart. Let's continue in chapter 7, verse 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, Moses is talking, I will strike the the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. I would prefer blood be in my own body. I would not prefer to see it. I am not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I'm not, I don't, I I have blood issues. I have snake issues. And I have issues with this. I don't want to see it. If you're bleeding, please take care of that. All right? I mean, if it's my kids, I, for whatever reason, I can handle it, okay? And if we've had a snake issue at our house, I can be dad and I can kill the snake, you know, and if somebody's bleeding, we can take care of that. But if I'm Pharaoh and the entire Nile has just turned to blood, and not only that, just to show that this is not some freak of science like you might find on the Discovery Channel where something's just floating down river, just for more than that, all of the pitchers and basins inside the home are also filled with blood. So you may be thinking, well, the Nile's turned to blood, that's kind of a pain, but I'm stocked up on Diet Coke, I'm fine. However, you go home and you open your your refrigerator, you get your pitcher, whatever it is, and there's blood there as well. And there's, because of this, there are fish that have died throughout the Nile and are floating on top of the water and the place smells like dead fish. Now, this is just bad. I mean, this is horrible. Now, I mean, if you're a sushi eater, this is great for you. You just go grab a fish floating on the water and just gnaw on it, you're fine. But the, uh, just kidding. I know that's not how it works. But I'm done. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. 
So then plague number two, frogs. Frogs, plural. Now, I don't mind a frog. But I also have frog issues. And here's the deal. A couple years ago, about two in the morning, my wife wakes me up and says there's a frog outside the window. Good for the frog. She said, you have to get up and go remove the frog. Like pitch black. I got to find the thing first. And I'm like, this frog did not do anything to me. I can leave this frog alone. I'll be fine. We have problems at our house with one frog. But now I'm talking frogs. I'm talking about you go to put on your pants that are hanging up in the closet and there's frogs in the pocket. I'm talking about you go to make your coffee in the morning and you open up your sugar bowl and a frog jumps out. I'm talking about you open the fridge, you go to take a bath, you're getting a shower, sink. I'm talking everywhere there are frogs. There's frogs everywhere. I mean, your kids might be having a heyday chasing things. I mean, their heads are spinning around like, there's a frog here, there's a frog there. What do we do? But this is crazy. If I'm Pharaoh, I'm done. How far you need to go? I'll help you pack. But not this guy. His heart is hardened. And then plague number three. The dust is struck by Aaron's rod at God's command. And a cloud of dust springs up and there are gnats everywhere. Now, don't you love the spring weather, like when it's first like 65, 70 degrees and you're outside and you can just enjoy it? But sometime along like the first of May, something happens when you go outside. You are attacked by little gnats that are, and there's like 50 of them at a time and they're doing this little dance in front of your face and smacking them around, getting rid of them. That's annoying. But I'm talking gnats. Like the dust of the ground. Everywhere. All over your body. In everything. You cannot get away from them. None of these plagues were little. It wasn't like, oh, there's a few too many frogs around. It wasn't like, oh, there's just a few too many gnats. It, was, it wasn't just like, well, the water over there is bad, but I can go somewhere else. No, these plagues covered everything. And there's a progression that happens at the end of plague number three. In chapter 8, verse 19, the magicians in Egypt said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. I love this statement. In fact, Jesus quotes it later in the New Testament. The finger of God. Rabbis will sit around and argue which finger is it. I don't care. It's just important that we recognize God when he is at work. It is important that, when, that we recognize God even in moments when our hearts are becoming the least bit hardened. It's important that we recognize him. And in fact, the magicians of Pharaoh, they are recognizing a power greater than themselves. They are recognizing something that they have never seen before and all that they can say is that it's the finger of God. Plague number four brings us to another progression. Chapter eight, verse 20 says this. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else 
If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. You get the point. Flies everywhere. And the houses of... I have fly issues too, just in case you're wondering. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies. And also the ground on which they stand. That's just nasty. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So there's another progression, plague number four. The children of Israel are living in a land they have been since the time of of Joseph that had been given to them called Goshen. And the first three plagues, they have experienced all of those. But now number four, it's like God sets an invisible shield around this land of Goshen and says, from here on out, my people will be protected. And in the midst of this plague, it appears that that Pharaoh begins to negotiate with Moses and and with God just a little bit. But at the end of chapter 8, in verse 32, the scriptures say this, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Plague number five, livestock begin to die from a disease that God sends. Chapter nine, verse seven, you might be able to guess what it says, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Now this is the last time the language around Pharaoh reads this way. This entire time, Pharaoh has been hardening his own heart and dealing with his own stubbornness and pride. The idea of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart happens 20 times in the book of Exodus. 10 times it's said that he hardens his own heart. 10 times it's said that God hardens his heart. But sitting here this morning, I'm wondering, can you relate to this at all? I mean, your heart's never been hardened by anything, has it? You've never got insensitive to a sin issue or or something else in your life. There are a few issues that we need to look out and, and point out as it applies to a hardened heart. The first thing I want you to see is that when someone hardens his or her heart, it is always voluntary. Around 100 years before the time of Christ, there was a Persian leader by the name of Mithridates. And he was paranoid that one day he would be poisoned and that he would die from that. So he began to slowly take preventative measures. He began to, over time, inject himself with little bits of venom. And he would eat poisonous plants and little things on on purpose so that over time he could build up his immunity to poison. And sure enough, it worked. He had won various battles against the Roman Empire. He He was a huge enemy of the state. And the Romans captured him. And he knew what was about to happen to him and it would not be pleasant. And so he tries at the end of his life, he tries to drink a large amount of poison, like beyond what anybody could ever imagine. And he's unsuccessful in killing himself because he had built up so much immunity over time and he ended up dying one of the worst deaths in history, tortured for more than 17 days. This is how a heart is hardened. A heart that was formerly tender, A heart that was formerly sensitive to sin over time can be dulled and it is never an accident. 
we allow ourselves to ingest small amounts of negative influence, small amounts of what we think is seemingly meaningless or inconsequential sins, not realizing what the end result might be. A heart so hard that there's no turning back. Something else that you need to know about a hardened heart is that it comes from persistent pride. Another word for this is stubborn. Do you have any stubborn people in your life? Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. You know what it is to be stubborn? I call it arguing with the GPS. Do you do this? You have this moment where you say, listen, I've lived here long enough. I know where I'm going. And this little woman on your windshield is yelling at you, please make a U-turn. My wife loves it because we don't have to argue about directions anymore. I get to argue with this little lady on my windshield. And you want to know what really makes me mad? Is when my wife puts the British voice on that thing. I don't know what it is. I love all people, but I don't want to be told to make a U-turn in that accent. That's not happening. But yet time and time again, this little lady seems to be right. Time and time again, because I'm stubborn enough to not always follow these directions. And when Moses first came to Pharaoh with God's word, his response was this. Here's what Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You see, Pharaoh believed himself to be God. He believed himself to be in control. He believed himself to be in charge. Who is the Lord? Are you serious? Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter would say it like this. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Someone who is stubborn refuses to listen. They refuse to see the warning signs. The signs are screaming, the road is closed, the bridge is out. But they're determined to go their own way. Stubbornness can make bad decisions feel like right decisions. Over time, a hardened heart can also become, number three, especially determined to resist God. A hardened heart over time can become completely determined to resist him. Charles Stanley says it this way. We are either in the process of resisting God's truth or in the process of being shaped by it. There is no middle ground. You're either walking towards him or you're walking away from him. But here's what happens over time as our hearts get hardened over things. We get to this point where we feel like we've tipped over the edge and that there's no coming back. And so we begin to resist conviction. We begin to get afraid that, you know what? If I come to God right now, if I were to bring my faults before him, if I were to bring my sins and bring them out in the open, I'm not sure that I can trust him. I want to tell you this morning, great is his faithfulness. And God, when he sees a hardened heart, all he wants to do is melt it. Take a heart of stone and make it into something moldable in his hands. Listen, two of my favorite words in all of the scriptures are redeem and restore. And when we find ourselves in a place where our hearts are hardened this morning, God says, come to me, come to me and let's make it right together. Too many people become isolated by their sin because they are scared of what would happen if they bring it forward. But I can tell you this morning, we can trust God. We can trust God. We can trust that he wants our very best to come out for his honor and for his glory. Something else that a hardened heart does is just puts off obedience. Says, I'll get to it later. I'm going to commit this sin for a season because I believe that I'm still in control, but I can stop anytime I want. For all these things, you find yourself in a place of a hardened heart. Listen to what others have said. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. 
If such be the condition of our heart, our Lord will not be angry with us. He will look round upon us with joy and take a delight in us. God always meets repentance with his grace and mercy and faithfulness. Plague number six, a handful of soot is grabbed and blown into the air. And as it multiplies and grows everywhere it lands on the skin of people throughout Egypt, their boils spring up. Number seven, there's hail. Hail destroying more vegetation and, and livestock throughout Egypt. And then another progression in, the, in this hardening of the heart episode. Exodus chapter nine says it this way. Verse 20. Then, and this is among the Egyptians, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slave and his livestock into the houses. In other words, listen, we've heard the prediction about what's coming. And so some of the, some of the people in Egypt began to heed the warnings. They began to listen to the message of Moses and they began to do the things that they needed to do to protect themselves. They were giving in to the power of God. They were seeing what was happening in this duel between Pharaoh and God and they were understanding there is a real God here who is relentless and who is more powerful than Pharaoh could ever be. Other people are watching the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and they're coming to faith in God. Where are we at? Number nine? Number eight is locusts, excuse me. All the vegetation in the land is being destroyed. Number nine, darkness. A darkness is sent upon the people so thick you can feel it. Try to light a lamp, but you see nothing. The scriptures say that people didn't leave their home for three days. You imagine cowering in the corner of a dark room that you cannot get out of for fear that you'll bump into some, something and hurt yourself or bump into somebody absolutely isolated and gripped with fear about what might happen. This is the result of a hardened heart. And then number 10, a plague that many people are familiar with, no matter how long you've been in church or never at all. There was the death of the firstborn Egyptians that God would send his death angel through the nation that anybody did not have the Passover lamb's blood on the doorpost with the firstborn of each child in that family would die. Listen, when we fall into sin, God is generous with his offers to repent. But at a certain point, our hearts become hardened because of our own desires. One proverb says it this way. When sin starts out, it is weak like a spider's web. But then it becomes as strong as an iron chain. I wonder if there's anybody in here today that needs to clean out the cobwebs of your soul before they turn into something more. Sin starts out as thin as a spider's web, but over time can become as strong as an iron chain. So why are there 10 plagues? Historians and Bible scholars alike have pointed out that each of these 10 plagues in the book of Exodus have a direct correlation 
to the God that the people in Egypt would be worshiping. They would all bring in different things. Somebody in this house might be worshiping the sun God. Somebody in this house might be worshiping something else. But time after time after time, God demonstrated himself to be sovereign and more powerful than all the other gods of Egypt. Each of the plagues was a defeat or one or more of these gods. And this morning, I'm wondering what gods might need to be defeated in this room. Because the same is true of us. God will not share his throne with anybody. God wants to be God of every area of our lives. So this morning, I'm wondering, are there any other gods that you're worshiping right now? In your own life, think about it. Allow the Holy Spirit to to convict this morning if that's what needs to happen. If there's an area of your life where you have let things get crowded, where maybe you have let in a few spider's webs that you need to clear out so that he gets your full attention, so that he has full command once again. There's all kinds of different things. You know what they are. Some of them are the money God, just wanting more and more money and stuff for all the wrong reasons, for your own glory and for your own desires and not for the kingdom of God. You know, anything that you put in front of God, ahead of him in in the priority line, can become a negative. He wants to be God more than any of the other things in your life that right now maybe you're thinking, "These these are the best things. Can I tell you something? God wants to be the God of your life. He doesn't want your kids to be your God. Some of you are trying to live your life vicariously through your children. We're watching you on the ball field do this. We're watching you in the dance studio do this. We're watching it all over the community. We can all be guilty of this at some point. But listen, I got kids. I know how it is. I love them to death. And it's easy to pour everything I have into them at the neglect of even God himself. And God is saying, listen, even the good things this morning, I want to be the priority. I want to be the center. Don't let anything get in the way of you and me. Some of these things, you you know what they are. A God of lust or God of addiction. Maybe it started, listen, it's as simple, it's as thin as a spider web. It starts out with just a glance. It starts out with just maybe a, a need for something more physically, just feeling tired. Maybe it starts out with just a, just a taste, whatever it is. Whatever the other gods are that you have brought into your life and let them spin their webs. Maybe you, you just put it on a mantle for decoration thinking that it wouldn't hurt anybody. Listen, this morning... Some have said this, the longer you harden your heart, Swindoll says, the longer you harden your heart, the more difficult it is to let God's light break through. And this morning, if you have hardened your heart in any area, we want to invite the light of God to come in, to come in so that he can clean house. You can clean house together. God sends plagues to dethrone other gods and cause people to turn their hearts to him. And these massive plagues of the Old Testament, we see some absolutely amazing destruction. We see a whole empire wiped off the scene. Even historians that don't believe the Bible cannot explain the things that happen about this time. And the things we're talking about next week do it even more so as the momentum builds in the story of Moses. But this morning, I'm wondering... When you look at the story, is there more to see than just God's wrath? Is it possible 
that in his desire to deliver his people, anytime we see his judgment in the scriptures, that we can also see his mercy. Is it possible to see deliverance in the midst of it all? I want you to picture one other thing in the life of Moses we've already talked about. Do you remember the story of his mom laying him in the basket and sending him down the river? You know, we believe that Moses wrote this part of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was given everything that happened in Genesis and he just wrote it down as God instructed him to. And now he's writing down Exodus and kind of telling this story more out of personal experience. But did you know something? There is an Egyptian word in the scriptures that helps us kind of back up even more that, that Moses probably wrote this stuff down. There's an Egyptian word in Genesis. It's the same word for the basket that the baby is put in. It has its root, the word for mercy. So imagine Exodus, this little basket of mercy floating on the water found by an Egyptian princess and raised up to one day be the deliverer of the nation of Israel. There's another basket of mercy in the book of Genesis chapter 6. When God says to Noah, build me an ark. Moses is writing this down. I don't know how this worked, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's possible that in a moment of prayer, he just said, I I got a word I need to use here. Because in the midst of the story of the flood of Noah, Another impossible story of God's wrath when all the sin is being wiped out of the earth and all we think about in our minds are are the waters coming up from below and coming down from above and we see the storms and we see this, this ark rocking on the water 20 feet higher than the tallest mountain that sits there in the distance and God is saying, I know you see my wrath, but I want you to see something else. I want you to see my basket of mercy floating on the water. I want you to see that in the midst of my wrath and in the midst of my deliverance, I want you to see that I still love and I still care. And my heart is still that people would be softened in their hearts and come to me. Habakkuk chapter three says it this way. The prophet says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. Habakkuk three verse two. And your work, oh Lord, do I fear. But in wrath, Remember mercy. You know, I referred to the last plague a moment ago. And in April, we're going to do something really special as a church around Passover. And we're gonna, we'll talk about that later. But you know that this last plague was that the firstborn son of every Egyptian family who did not follow God's instructions of any family, the firstborn son would be killed. It's interesting to think about what God, that last plague, confronts. Some would say that because it's the last and greatest plague, that it's not just confronting all the gods at once, but, but, but it's, I think it's doing more than that. Not just going after all the gods at once, but I think it's going after something very, very specific. There's one more God the plague confronts. It is the God who is the most stubborn in the story the God who stands personally against the one true God. It's Pharaoh himself. 
You see, the Egyptians gave him status with the gods. And now he has been competing the entire time. And the whole reason that he would not release control during any of these plagues was because to do so would give away his own throne and to admit that there's a God greater and more powerful than he. This is the biggest reason a heart remains hardened, isn't it? There are moments in all of our lives where we want to feel as though we are sitting on our own throne, that we are in complete control. We want to take credit for our own successes. We decide we can navigate our own difficult circumstances. When we find ourselves in sin, we try to make our own way out. And if we, if we fail, it's okay because no one else knows about it. We can pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and deal with life on our own. That's what God is confronting. You say, God can send anything my way, any plague, and I can take it as long as I'm still in charge. But listen, the key to overcoming a hardened heart is to recognize who's in charge and to understand it's not you. God is sovereign and he wants to be in complete control of every area of your life. There will be no other gods before him.